0: The following is a sponsored program on WBT.
1: Hey, Wes Lawson right there. Bill barty right here. The Carolina Outdoors is in session. And Wes, I just received an email from Mark Turner over at the scouting office of Mecklenburg County Council. He wanted me to remind everyone that summer is here and it's time to have fun in scouting. And as you get out into the wild beyond for some summer adventures in the woods or in the water whatever you're doing remember these important safety tips always take a buddy number two keep your water bottle handy number three check the weather before you go and uh, those are good to note as we are getting active outdoors this summer but what about that last one number three check the weather before you go when we check the weather here on the Carolina Outdoors, we check out our friend Al Conklin and his team over at WBTV, and we're going to welcome him, the chief meteorologist at WBTV, right now. Al, welcome.
0: Hey, thank you very much, Bill and Wes. I uh, hope you guys are doing well and uh, your summer's off to a good start.
1: It's off to a fantastic start so far, and you know we're over there at Jesse Brown's Outfitting People, so we want to jump in with you feet first, because we have people going to the Caribbean, down to Mexico Mm -hmm. to fish uh, this spring, and then they sometimes take it easy during the summer months when hurricane season starts. June 1st through November um, is the normal hurricane season, but the past seven years, storms are gaining and getting earlier and earlier, delving into the spring. What's happening down there to cause that sort of thing?
0: well right now bill we're in a pattern where um you know things are just happening as you said earlier and earlier there's no real conclusive uh reason for these earlier starts now this year we've had one named storm it was alex that was that short-lived one that came across florida Um, but it actually started in the pacific it was a pacific storm first agatha and made a landfall in mexico then sort of weakened over Mexico but regained strength when it came back over the Bay of Campeche. And so it it then became an Atlantic Basin storm, so they gave it a new name. But it was within the confines of the hurricane season. You're right, though. The last several years, it's actually started in mid-May. And there's been some talk in the scientific community about perhaps expanding the hurricane season to include the last two weeks of May as opposed to the traditional start. Which is uh, you know, June 1st, and as you say, it runs through about Thanksgiving. But here's the thing, Bill. We always just say, look, it's time. W- when we start to get into the warm weather months, it's just time to be prepared. That doesn't. When, when we talk about preparedness, as you said with the Scouts, but well, doesn't mean cancel anything. It just means be aware of what is going on, where it is that you're going. And so, you know, hurricanes are not new. They're natural phenomena. If we did not have them life as we know it in the middle latitudes where the vast majority of us live would not be able to exist these take you know these hurricanes take heat from the tropics and where do they send it they send it poleward so this is a natural transfer of heat the problem is we all want to be right in the way of them right we want to be on the beaches we want to <laughs> be you know on the outer banks and and all these places so again just you know right now we're off to a quiet start but typically in june bill and west When we see storms gather strength, it's going to be in the western Gulf and in the western Caribbean. And then as the season moves along from July and especially into August and September, then we start to see more of those, you know, Cape Verde storms, the ones out into the Atlantic. But right now, again, there's not a lot of activity, but just check ahead. And, uh, you know, if you get a storm that comes through, it's usually a day or so and you're in better shape.
1: Well, let's let's move closer to home because we still have storms just here—the good old-fashioned oh, yeah. thunderstorms—and the reaction, I guess, to your point is what we should pay attention to because we're going to still do our outdoor activities. So, if we are out on a hike uh, and a thunderstorm mm-hmm. comes up, we're up on a ridge line or 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 not, but a thunderstorm comes up. It has lightning, it has thunder, it has all those dangerous things. But we are exposed. Can you give us advice as a hiker as a camper who may be out when that happens? What should we do?
0: Yeah, well, you you know, you you bring up a great point here. This is the time to get out and enjoy nature, to enjoy, you know, enjoy wildlife, friends, family, but we find ourselves in these predicaments occasionally. Now, thankfully, we have technology these days that we didn't have when you and and I and Wes were, were kids, but Sometimes the technology won't work when we're in rural areas. It is best, though, I would suggest um, to have your iPhone and download a weather app. You know, I prefer ours, TV's weather app. It has interactive radar, lightning data, real-time lightning data, and it'll give you a warning, a heads-up, and notifications. But if you do, you know, ignore the signals around you or something blows up right on top of you, which, as you say, oftentimes can happen on the ridge lines, The problem is now you're up there with the trees. You're at the highest point, and lightning is always looking for the path of least resistance. So, Bill, I would say get away from trees, and what you need to do is basically find any kind of shelter you can, whether it's some sort of a rock formation or something where you can be low to the ground. You want to ball yourself up until this thing passes. It's not going to be fun. It may be terrifying. But that's your best bet when you get caught in those types of situations. You want to avoid being around anything that's, that's high. Um, under a tree is not a safe place. You're you're exposed. There's no question about it. You're on a ridgeline. But find someplace away from trees and, and, and find a rock formation. Find something where you can at least cover yourself somewhat and get low to the ground.
2: And I might add, too, um if you have a pack to sit on your pack, so we can have a little insulation. Should we have a ground strike, that that can be terrifying. Uh, but of course, the reason we're getting away from those trees is so that um, if one of those gets struck and and starts dropping, uh, dropping limbs, we're not going to get crushed. I do have a question though for you, Al. Before we get too far into to that, going back to hurricanes for just a moment. Yeah. When a hurricane yeah. forms in the Gulf or the Caribbean versus one that forms in the Atlantic, like around Cape Verde do they behave differently? I mean, is one wetter or bigger than the other?
0: No, uh, not. Well, typically, Wes, um, the ones that are early and late in the season are oftentimes associated with decaying frontal systems. This time of the year, uh, you know, we can still get fronts that'll push through the South and then, you know, they run out of gas, you know, and and across Florida or Louisiana, and, and they'll sit in the Gulf of Mexico. Well, now that's a, that's a, That's a zone where you've got cooler, drier air to the north and warm, moist air to the south. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be a a zone that you would normally see development. And, uh, you know, in the summertime, we get deep into August. We don't get those frontal systems in here. So um, that's not going to happen very often. But late in the season and early in the season, these ones that are closer to home in the Caribbean, in the Gulf, uh, they're going to normally be smaller scale storms they could be very very wet though because of the origin of where they're coming from the cape verde storms the ones that typically come you know from about the first week or so of august through about the middle part of september those are the biggies you know those are going to be the hugo type storms mm-hmm. you know the ones that start out way in the atlantic and we track them for days and days and days and they are usually expansive um, that's going to start from some sort of a disturbance coming off of africa and they usually have a lot of real estate over open water to um, to gain strength. And so those are typically going to be your, your major hurricanes. Uh, and if they can get into the Gulf of Mexico, which is nothing more really than a shallow, very, very warm pond, they're going to blow up on you. Yeah, yeah.
2: Wow.
1: Learning a lot from Chief <laughs> Meteorologist at WBTV, Al Conklin, as he joins the Outdoor Guys here on the Carolina Outdoors Uh, Many of our listeners may not know, and we're going to get to Al's outdoor passion and get a fishing report from him as well. But before we do, and we're sticking with some safety, at least how we can act or react when we are outdoors, Al, I asked you about the hikers up on a ridge or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I liked your answer in regards to preparation, paying ahead, get the WBTV weather app, uh, know what we're going into. But if we're on a trout stream or camped down by a river, because many of us are going to be enjoying that throughout the Carolinas and the southeast, uh, and we are there camped out and a storm comes through with rising water, not to make this all doom and gloom, sure. but can you tell yep. us and our listeners what what do we do if we're in the river enjoying some fishing and we have that happen to us?
0: Yeah, well, first thing is that, you know, um, by nature, you know, where are most campgrounds and most parks uh, in America? They're in flood zones, Right. Because it's the flattest land and you know, three hundred days a year there's no problem at all. But the you know, the few days where we get, you know, big downpours, that's gonna be the first area that's gonna flood. You know, I was just out in Montana fishing the Madison and everything rolls off of, you know, ten thousand foot mountains right down there into the lowest layers, you know, of, of the valley. And so yeah, the thing is, you've got. This is what's so important, guys. You just have to have a weather awareness about you. You know, you, you check off everything else that you do to prepare for a fishing trip. Don't let weather be one thing that goes unchecked. If you find yourself in that kind of predicament, I spoke with my guide and just say what what is what happens because he's talked about having an electric feel on his fishing pole on, on his fly rod, knowing that the electrons from that, that rod are going up cloudwards and there's something that's about to happen. You know, get out of that boat, get undercover somehow. Um, and, you know, typically along these streams and these rivers there are lots of trees and brush. You can at least get under something to protect yourself from the wind. And, you know, hopefully the water doesn't come up that fast. But if it does, you're going to have to evacuate to higher ground and you're going to find yourself doing so probably at the height of a storm. So these are that's why I say, you know, preparation. Every scout knows <laughs> you got to prepare for, you know, don't prepare for sunshine, prepare for rain. And if it stays sunny all day, fantastic. But if it doesn't, you'll be prepared. No. Hey, I'm going to have to maybe adjust my plans here a little bit. Make that part of your checklist.
2: So if we are preparing for sunshine, though, there are a couple of things that when you give the weather report, you use some phrases and some key data that I think for a lot of us, we 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 know kind of what you're talking about, but really, we just know it's going to be hot outside and probably humid. <laughs> right. You know, we, t- we joke about it, you know, the air that you can wear. But temperature, dew point, relative humidity, kind of how does all that play into the season that we're going into and what we're going to experience? How does dew point, heat, humidity affect us when we get outside?
0: Okay. Well, there are a lot of different elements there that you just touched upon, Wes, but dew point is the truest measure of how much moisture is in the air. And I always tell folks that the dew point is below 40. You don't need to worry about it. That's going to be in the wintertime or in the fall or, you know, the early spring. That means the air is dry. Um, and a lot of times here in the wintertime, the dew points are in the teens, and so then you take that air inside, and you've got the heat on. Guess what? Your skin really dries out, and that's why you've got you know moisturizer on you. This is the time of year where we never have to be concerned about that. Right. It's quite the opposite. The dew points, whenever they get into the sixties, um, the air is loaded with moisture. That's all that means. So at night, let's just say the dew point's sixty. And at night, the temperature goes to 62. Okay, well, they're pretty close to one another, so it's going to be really humid in the morning. But if the dew point stays in the 60s or low 60s, but the air goes to 90, you haven't added any more moisture to the air. You've just heated it up. And that's why the humidity level will actually go down during the afternoon hours. It doesn't mean that it feels any more comfortable, but the humidity is actually relative. It's relative to what? Relative to the temperature. When you have air that's in the nineties, it can hold a whole lot of water. That's why we get these big thunderstorms. It's tropical in nature. It can hold a lot of water in the wintertime. We don't have that type of situation. The air can't hold as much water. And so a lot of times when it's in the fifties, even the forties, we get rain or even snow here, uh, but it's not usually you know, the same type of situation. But if that dew point is anywhere in the sixties or above, I don't care what the temperature is. It's going to be humid. Just know that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Make it sticky. It sounds like a Carolina summer when that's happening, and Al Conklin, uh, sometimes that's when we need to escape out west, and we have a lot of people who are heading out west for a little bit of fly fishing, and we want to get your report because we had good word that you were enjo- able to enjoy a little bit of western relaxation. How was the fishing out on the Madison?
0: Yeah, it was really good, um, and we had challenging conditions, uh, bill uh our guide out there a fellow by the name of what uh, mike Worley, said hey you're going to earn everything you get here today and my son had never been before and you know brought in a, a 19 inch and a 20 inch brown so just you know highlight of my day there but uh it's challenging because you're getting snow melt now and they are quickly transitioning from winter to usually what's a very dry hot summer out there and we happen to pick a good week the first week of of June here, where um, it was still, everything was green. Um, a lot of snowmelt coming in. So all the tributaries, you know, they're throwing a lot of brown water in. But once you get away from then, you're getting good water. Now, I will say this, Bill, it's still a little bit low. They had a very dry winter out there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until April and May that they actually picked up the vast majority of their snow. It wasn't November, December, January, and February. It was really late in the season. So this is helping out now. The, late, the uh, rivers are coming up. But they're still a little bit low even for this time of the year, but they have had good rain there. And, uh, you know, hey, 3,000 fish per mile on average, you know, even a dumb guy like me can, <laughs> can get lucky once in a while. So if you get the right, the right flies and you get in the right spot, you're, you're going to do okay and you'll have a good time. So lots of fun. We were fortunate. We didn't see a soul out there in the eight miles we were on. Uh, but as I left and pulled out of town uh, earlier this week, uh it was starting to load
1: up (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) Yeah.
2: the people are going to start showing up you know i think it'll be interesting to see what happens with water levels um based on that that relatively small snowpack and snowmelt and then so many of the hills and mountains around there have had years now of um pretty significant forest fires so that how that runoff is going to play into effect could be pretty interesting one quick question what kind of flies were y'all using how are we matching the hatch out there
0: yeah, pretty well. Uh, caddis, you know, a lot of pheasant tails, um, you know, even some boogers. You know, we tried a little bit of everything because while it was there, uh, the water was stirred up pretty good. It was it had a really good green tint to it. Um, so there, and it was challenging conditions. We literally had to get off the water for a while because of a thunderstorm west. So we're trying to just throw a little bit of this, a little bit of that, because uh, we're definitely in transition zone there. Uh, but a lot of hatchings going on. Uh, you know, certainly the caddis are in full force out there now. And I suspect if the air warms up, you're going to see, a, you know, a big hatch going forward. But uh, there were plenty of fish, and we just had a you know, fantastic time out there. So uh, anybody who has that opportunity, I, I urge you to get out there and enjoy it. But uh, like I said, we just had. You you are spot on. There have been a lot of fires the last couple of years, and so there are definitely some bald spots on a lot of the hills and mountains in and around there. So it would be interesting to see as the thunderstorms come what the runoff does and how the water fluctuates.
2: It it, it will be interesting. Of course, you named three flies that have been been go-getters for years and years. The the woolly bugger, which is great when when you have turbid or mixed-up water pheasant yep. tails and caddis and uh luckily bill we've got quite a lot of all of those things and so much more but those are just classic go-tos always work
1: al yep. conklin chief meteorologist over at WBTV, you mentioned it i'll mention it again grab that weather app outdoor lovers the WBTV weather app to help you plan and prepare before you head out into our carolina outdoors al thank you so much for your time with us today and uh for the education and uh, the encouragement for us to get out there and do what we need to do in the outdoors.
0: All right fellas, West Wes, uh, tight lines and uh, be safe out there fellas.
1: Off he goes and off we go, but just for a moment we're going to come back with more of the Carolina Outdoors.
3: A report from the Blue Ridge Parkway. This week a closure of a popular section of the Blue Ridge Parkway begins. The Laurel Fork Bridge is undergoing a replacement project at Milepost 248.8 in Ashe County, North Carolina. The $29 million project is scheduled to take over two years and is requiring a full park closure in that area. During this time, the area between Milepost 248.1 and 249.3 will be totally restricted to access for all vehicles, cyclists and pedestrians. Access to Dalton Park and Bluffs Restaurant will remain, however. The historic Laurel Fork Bridge was first constructed in 1939 and is 546 feet long. The current restoration project is being funded by the Great American Outdoor Act for National Parks and Public Lands Legacy Restoration Fund. Please mind these detours and enjoy the Blue Ridge Parkway. This has been a report from the Blue Ridge Parkway sponsored by Jesse Brown's Outdoors.